It certainly is blessing for me to be here tonight, to be able to assemble with this congregation here. I think this is my first time. I know this is my first time to come to Delreda, and it hasn't been very often that I found myself in the Montgomery area. I grew up in northeast Alabama. We never ventured this far south many, many times, but I'm thankful to be here. Uh, The church down at Grady, of course, has endeared their hearts to me, and by extension, many of the churches in Montgomery. And so I am honored and I am privileged to be here. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for the assignment. Tonight I'm going to be talking about speaking God's truth. Now what I like about this topic is not only was I given a topic, but I was also given a text. Because many, many times when I think about truth, I go to passages like John chapter 8 and verse 32 where Jesus said, "...and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free." where Jesus talks about the benefit that truth has for each of us. Or I go to John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God has communicated truth to his people via revelation or through the truth. And so that's the way my mind often works. But when I was given the title of the topic, speaking God's truth or teaching God's truth, and then was assigned the text as well, Ezekiel chapter 3, I was forced to go to this text and really begin evaluating how does Ezekiel 3 and the call of Ezekiel and the ministry of Ezekiel factor into speaking God's truth. And I hope that our study tonight will be as valuable to you as it has been to me as we talk about Ezekiel. Now, the more and more I study about Ezekiel, the more and more I feel some sort of connection with this prophet that we read about in the Old Testament. You see, for Ezekiel, he was 25 years old when he was taken into Babylonian captivity. So he's taken from the city of Jerusalem where he served in the office of a priest. He's carried to Babylon. He's put basically in isolation with another group of Jews around an irrigation canal. We know it's Kibar. And then they lived there and they served together and they worked together. But they were so far isolated from home. So imagine at 25 years old, he's taken, he's put in this new environment. He's told to continue to be faithful and to serve God. But then we keep reading the book of Ezekiel and we find out that his prophetic work started really when he was about 27, 28 years old, 30. So in his late 20s, early 30s, this prophet of God began his work and then continued throughout the rest of his life. But what's interesting about Ezekiel is not only that he was young and that he was given this ministry and that he had this purpose, but he was told to go and preach to a certain group of people who really, for all practical purposes, weren't interested in hearing his message. He's told by God, in fact, in chapter 2, God uses a phrase to describe his own people, the nation of Israel, both those still in Jerusalem and those in captivity, and he calls them by this word, rebellious. Rebellious. Now just think for a minute... If you've got a rebellious group of people, what do rebellious people not often like to be told? This is what is true. This is what is right. This is the authoritative way to do things. Oftentimes, people who are rebellious will reject authority. But God, in speaking to Ezekiel, he says, let me tell you a word that describes my people. He says, they're rebellious. They have a rebellious heart. They're rebellious people. He says, I know they're not going to like my truth, but regardless of whether or not they like my truth, I want you to speak the truth. So beginning in Ezekiel chapter 1, picking up with verse 3, Ezekiel begins to see this vision. Now it's interesting to me that God in calling the prophet Ezekiel, at least in this context, he's telling him, I've got some work for you to do, but let me impact you with how powerful I am first. 
And so he sees a vision of living creatures and he sees a vision of a wheel inside of a wheel and then he sees this vision of God and has God directly speak to him. God is impacting him with his truth. Now, isn't it the case that oftentimes when God was communicating with an individual, when he had a message for them to communicate to his people or a mission that he wanted them to accomplish, he would reveal himself to them in a special way? Think about Jacob. Jacob, when he flees from his home, having been persecuted or being sought to be persecuted by his brother Esau, perhaps for a good cause, he flees from his home. And the very first night, he sleeps with a stone as his pillow. And what does he see? He sees a vision, a dream. He sees a ladder extending up into heaven and angels ascending and descending upon the ladder. He has a vision that impacts him with the power of God. And then he leads a great life. Then you've got Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and following, Isaiah very early in his book, he talks about what he saw, how he in a vision was taken into the temple of God. and He saw the Lord sitting upon the throne and the train of his garments filled the temple and there was smoke and an earthquake and the shaking of the temple and how that impacted him. So you've got Jacob and his mission, you've got Isaiah and his ministry, and then you've got John the Revelator. In Revelation chapter 1, you remember how John, he's writing this book and he's told to write to the seven churches of Asia. And then right after he says, these are the people to whom this book is addressed to, he has an immediate vision of Jesus Christ, the exalted Savior, and how powerful he is. And he describes him in intimate detail. It's incredible to me that God... Oftentimes when he chooses a prophet in this New Testament, in this Old Testament, and we read what he did, he gives them a vision of his power and his glory and how incredible he was before he ever sends them out. I think that's important because for Ezekiel to understand how he was going to communicate truth to a rebellious people, he needed to remember the power of God. Now, when you get on down in Ezekiel chapter 2, you arrive at verse 9. Really, we begin to read the context of what we're going to be talking about. In Ezekiel chapter 2, keep in mind he's having a vision here. The Bible says, And when I looked, Ezekiel speaking, Behold, an hand was sent unto me. He sees a hand. And lo, a roll or a scroll of a book was in his hand. Then he describes the scroll. He says, He spread it out before me. And it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. He says, I I saw this hand, and in this hand was this scroll, and then the scroll was laid out, and it was written on the front and the back, and I saw all these things that weren't necessarily good things for God's people, but they were written in this scroll. Now keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, moreover, he, the one who is speaking to him, God, he said unto me, son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll or scroll and go and speak in the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth. He caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, son of man, cause thy belly to eat, fill thy bowels with this scroll that I give unto thee. Then did I eat. And it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Then he begins in verse 4. God gives him this scroll in chapter 2, verses 9, continuing on through chapter 3 and verse 3. But then beginning in chapter 4, he says, let me tell you why I just gave that to you. He says in chapter 3 and verse 4, he said unto me, son of man, he's speaking to him again, go, get thee unto the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. 
Now you remember we've already referenced John chapter 17, verse 17, where Jesus praying to the Father said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? It's true. So when God tells Ezekiel, I want you to go and I want you to speak to the house of Israel, my words, what's he telling them to speak? Truth. He says, Ezekiel, I want you to go to these rebellious people and I want you to give them authority directly from me. I want you to go to these rebellious people and I want you to give them truth, not relativity. I want you to give them truth. Then he continues and we keep reading and we keep reading and we keep reading. Really, the heart of the matter is found in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is where I want us to focus our attention. Then by extension, we'll get into the rest of the text. Read verses 10 and 11 with me. He says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears, and go get thee to them of thy captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. If you want to know the summary of the first three chapters of Ezekiel, it's there. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He says, I want you to receive, I want you to hear, and then I want you to go and I want you to speak, even though they may not listen to you, even though they may forbear, I want you to go and teach the truth. So when we talk about speaking God's truth from these great passages in the major prophets, and we come to Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 10, and then verse 11, there's a lot to be said. Now, I want to give you five things Five things that you must possess, that I must possess, that Ezekiel had to possess in order to speak God's truth. I would submit that from the first three chapters of Ezekiel, by extension, chapter 33 of the book of Ezekiel, you cannot truly speak God's truth until you have these five things. Number one, the first thing that we must have in order to speak God's truth is consecration. Consecration. When we say that word consecration, I'm not talking about necessarily in a metaphysical sense or in in an overly spiritual sense. The word consecrated is very similar to the word that we might say sanctified, to be set apart or to be chosen for a special purpose. Was Ezekiel chosen by God for a special purpose? Absolutely. Absolutely. You pick up reading in Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar, that the heavens were open, I saw the visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim of the captivity, that's 593 B.C., when all of this began, he says, The word of the Lord came unto me expressly unto Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzah, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon me. God spoke directly on this occasion to Ezekiel. Now there's an interesting phrase that God's going to use all throughout this book to talk to Ezekiel, and it's a phrase that we really only read applied to one other person in your Bible, and what is it? We've already read it it time and time again. Son of man, son of man, son of man. You see, God had consecrated Ezekiel 
to the extent that he gave him a special designation. Son of man, I want you to do this. Son of man, I want you to accomplish this. Son of man, eat this scroll. Go preach my word. Minister to the people. He was consecrated. He was chosen by God for a special purpose. Now, are we as Christians consecrated to speak the truth? Beyond the shadow of a doubt. The Bible calls us many, many things in the New Testament. It calls us saints, calls us holy, calls us elect of God. Leave your finger here in Ezekiel chapter 3 and go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. The majority of our time is going to be in Ezekiel, but we can't, we can't make application without visiting a couple of passages in your New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5... Peter's writing to the Christians. He says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Chosen, elect, chosen by God. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation a peculiar people. He says, you're a chosen people of God. He gives four designations there to tell us that we as people of God are consecrated. Why? God doesn't just consecrate things for no purpose. In the Old Testament law, under the Mosaic law, when God consecrated something or sanctified something, why did He do it? To be used in the temple, to be used for worship, to be used for His people. When God consecrates Christians, why? Watch the end of verse 9 in order that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has consecrated those of you who are Christians. He has chosen those of you who are Christians. And what has He chosen us for? To glorify Him, to magnify Him, to fulfill what we have called the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Do you know what's interesting? He says, I've consecrated you, so go and speak. He told Ezekiel, I've consecrated you, so go and speak. If you're going to speak God's truth, the first thing it's going to take is consecration. And the only way to be consecrated by God is to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the only way to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus is to by, by obeying the words of Christ. So the first thing it takes in order to speak the truth is consecration, number two. The second thing it's going to take in order for us to speak the truth is education. Education. That makes sense. If we're going to speak intelligently on any subject, no matter what it is, there has to be some form of education that comes before that. So if I'm going to speak the truth, it's going to take education. One brother has already come up to me tonight, and I will profess how nervous I was on Monday. When you're offering the opportunity for a preacher to come and do a question and answer segment, do you know what you give him? If you like the guy, you give him something like, do a question and answer segment on faith. Do a question and answer segment on the gospel accounts. In fact, do a question and answer segment on any portion of the Bible. And you've got a friend because he can go to book, chapter, and verse. Monday night, I was given the opportunity to do a live question and answer segment on GBN. Do you know what the topic was? Current events. You want to cripple a preacher, tell him to come and do an open-air topic 
questions, current events. You know what you've got to do before you can, quote, speak the truth on current events? You've got to be educated. You talk about being nervous. Do you know what I did Monday up until the time it was to sit down in that little chair? I read and I studied and I read and I studied. I know more about the Palestinians and the Israelis Hamas than I ever knew before. Before we ever speak the truth, there's got to be an education, right? Now go back to chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Even God knows this. He says, moreover, he said unto me, son of man, he was consecrated, right? He says, all my words that I speak unto thee, receive in thine heart. Now watch this. And hear, hear with thine ears. Some of your versions might say something like, listen carefully. He says, all the words that I want you to speak, the first thing you've got to do is listen carefully. Do you remember in this vision what happens at the end of chapter 2? He looks and he sees a hand and the hand is a scroll. And then the scroll is laid out and it's written on the inside and the outside. And what does God tell him to do in chapter 3 and verse 1? I want you to eat this roll. He's not talking about Lambert's. He says, I want you to eat this roll. He's talking about the word. I want you to eat my words. I want you to eat my words. What's he doing? He's giving Ezekiel an education. He says, I want you to eat my words. We eat our words. He tells God, he tells Ezekiel to eat his. And so he keeps going and he says, verse 2, So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat. Fill thy bowels with this scroll that I give unto thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth the sweetness of honey. He says, I was educated. Before Ezekiel ever got up and said, Hey, guys, let me tell you God's truth. What did God have to do? God had to communicate that truth to him. How does God communicate truth? It's one word begins with an R, ends with evelation. It's revelation. God communicates truth through revelation. He did so for Ezekiel. Now, question. If we're going to speak God's truth, how are we educated? Revelation. Revelation. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the what? Word that you may grow thereby. He says, I want you to desire this word. I want you to take in this word. Jesus told the woman at the well, John chapter 4, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked of him and he would have given you what? Living water. And whoever drinks this water from his bowels are going to come forth. He says, you've got to take it in. Education. I have an immense amount of respect for our ladies who on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and our men for that matter, who teach our young children about the Word of God. What are they doing? They're educating them. And the most important thing with which they can ever be educated, they're educating them. Before we can ever speak God's truth, we've got to be educated. We've got to listen closely. You know, it'd be easy to get up and and to preach about Bible study and to teach about Bible study. The fact of the matter is, we know we ought to be studying God's Word. Why don't we? Why don't we? I think the answer to that question is probably because we don't see a reason. If you'll bear with me, I'll give you a reason before we're finished. But if we're going to speak God's truth, number one, we've got to see that we're consecrated for that purpose. It takes consecration. Number two, it's going to take education. That means opening up this book and reading and studying Do you remember in chapter 3 where he describes, or excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 10 where he describes it was written? He says it was written within and what? Without. On the front and the back. They didn't typically do that. Typically they wrote on the front. Why is it that he says it was written on the front and the back? Within and without. Do you know what Ezekiel couldn't do with a scroll that was filled up on the front and filled up on the back? He couldn't add his notes. He couldn't add anything to it. 
It was complete. God's revelation is complete. We've got to be educated in it, but it's complete. It's here. We can read it. We can understand it. We can follow it. We can communicate it. If we're going to speak God's truth, we've got to know God's truth. Number one, we've got to be consecrated. Number two, we've got to have an education. Go back to chapter 3, verse 10. Consecration, education. Number three, the third thing that's necessary, if we're going to speak God's truth, it's going to take acceptation. We're going to have to accept it. You know, it's easy for us to be taught certain things and not really accept them. For instance, in high school or in college, you might be taught something by a professor that you know is against what we read about here. You can be taught it, you can be educated, but that doesn't mean what? That doesn't mean you accept it. And that's why God's speaking to Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, Moreover, son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, he says this first, he says, Receive in thine heart and hear with thy ear. Hear with your ears the education process of that. But receiving in the heart, really comprehending and accepting, this is what we're talking about now. Not only do we need to learn God's Word and read God's Word and know God's Word, but we've got to accept it. If we're going to put it in a way in which we can understand, we'd use this word, believe. Believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you know it. So then what comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? So then faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Hearing's the education. Faith is the acceptation. You know what's interesting to me? is that Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and Ezekiel 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, I saw this roll, it was unrolled before me, it was written within and without, and he said, what was on that scroll? He said, lamentations and mourning and weeping, bad news. He said, but I ate it, and what did it taste like? It tasted like honey. But, but, keep reading in chapter 3, pick up with verse 12. This puzzles me. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Then the Spirit took me up. I heard behind me a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from this place. And I heard also the noise of wings of the living creatures that touch one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and the noise of great rushing or thundering. He says, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in what? Bitterness. Now, he says of the scroll, I tasted and it was like what? Honey. He said, but when I left from the presence of God, I went in what? Bitterness. There's a change there. Tasted like honey. But when I left, it was in bitterness. Keep reading. He says, I went in bitterness in the heat, some versions, the anger of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was upon me. He says, when I first ate it, it was sweet and it was nice and I savored it. But when I left the presence of God and when it was time for me to go back to the real world and it was time for me to work with the people to whom I was sent, he said it became bitter in me. Now, commentators are divided and honestly, I am too. One of two things can be meant here. Either one, Ezekiel says, when I went back home, I was so fired up about God. When I looked at my brethren, it made me angry. That's a possibility. I was so excited about the Word of God and communicating that with them, but then when they wouldn't hear it, I was angry. That's a possibility. Or, Ezekiel's given this message, he gets back home and he begins to contemplate it, and he says, I don't really want to preach this. Lamentations, mournings, and weeping, sign me up. No way! He says, I don't really want to preach this. 
What was sweet when I was alone with God is now bitter when it's time for me to go tell somebody else. Have you ever felt that way? When it's just me and God and I have a relationship with Him and I'm communicating with Him and He tells me something and I say, absolutely. And then He says, now you go tell that to somebody else. I go, whoa. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. He says, then said I, I will not speak anymore in His name. I'm not going to speak anymore for God. I'm done. I'm in a dungeon. I'm not going to speak anymore for God. They hate God's word. I'm not going to speak anymore for God. He says, but His word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I couldn't keep it in. I had to preach. You see, the fact of the matter is that sometimes when it comes down to God's revelation, when it's just me and God, it tastes really, really good. But then when I have to go tell somebody else and speak God's truth, it feels really, really bitter when I have to. But what does He say? Ezekiel says, but the word was heavy on me. The hand of the Lord was heavy on me. God told me to speak it, and he wasn't going to let up till I did. He said, I don't care how bitter it was. Now, you keep reading in chapter 3, and what happens here? He says, verse number 15, Then I came unto them of the captain, uh, captivity of Tel Aviv, it's his brethren, the group he was sent to. He says, they dwelt by the river of the irrigation canal Kibar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there astonished. I remained there overwhelmed for seven days. Now, if Ezekiel takes this in, and it's sweet, and then God says, but I want you to go teach it to people who aren't going to listen to you, and it becomes bitter. And then he goes and he sits around, and he can look around, and he can see all these people that he's got to prophesy to. And he knows, God's already told him, they're going to reject my word, they're going to reject my word. What do you think he's thinking about for seven days? If you were in his position, and God says, I want you to speak this, and you say, okay, Lord, I can do that, and then you get back, and you're like, ugh. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting there for seven days. What's going through your mind? You're wrestling with yourself. Because here's the truth. If I really believe something, if I'm really convicted of something, if I really have faith in something, I cannot keep that to myself. Period. What was he doing during those seven days? He was working on accepting the truth that God had communicated to him. And then God tells him to get up and go, and he goes. You see, if we're going to speak God's truth, it's not enough just to know it. It's not enough just to be educated. There has to be an acceptation. There has to be faith. There has to be faith. Do you know who can smell a faith quicker than anybody else? A child. A child can. If I really, really, really believe something, do you know who I can't fool? My children, and by extension, other people's children. I don't have any children, but I can't fool your, your children. You can't fool a child. You know who else you can't fool? You can't fool God. You can't fool God. If you're going to speak God's truth, number one, it's going to take a consecration. You can't speak God's truth to you if you, you have obeyed it yourself. Number two, it's going to take an education. You've got to study, you've got to learn, you've got to grow, you've got to know. And then third, it's going to take an acceptation. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. And number four, if you're going to speak God's truth, it's going to take preparation. And you say, hang on, didn't we just talk about that? That's education, right? Not necessarily. 
It's going to take preparation. Now, let me elaborate here. Go to chapter 3 of the book of Ezekiel and watch what God says. Chapter 3, verse 4, he says, and well, let's start in chapter 3, verse 11, then we'll come back. He says, this is our text. He says, verse 11, Go get unto them of the captivity unto the children of thy people and speak unto them and tell them, Thus saith the Lord thy God. Now, watch this. Whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Now, in verse 11, he says, I want you to go and I want you to teach whether they're going to listen or not. Is there any hope in that phrase? Absolutely. He says, maybe they'll hear, maybe they won't. But if you back up just a few verses, go to verse 4. He said unto me, Son of man, I want you to go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak my words unto them. Same thing he would say later. Now watch verse 5. For you're not sent to a people of a strange speech, of a hard language, but you're sent to the house of God. He said, I'm not sending you to a foreign nation. I'm not sending you to the Chaldeans. I'm not sending you like Jonah to the Assyrians. I'm not sending you to Edom. I'm not sending you anywhere else. I'm sending you to my people, the house of Israel. He says, verse 6, I'm not sending you to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language. They stumble over their words. You can't really understand them whose words thou cannot understand. Surely, watch this, surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. What is he saying? He's saying if I sent you to a foreign nation, they would have done what? They would have listened. Do you know who I think about? I think about Jonah, right? Jonah's a prophet of God, an Israelite. He's sent to what country? He's sent to Nineveh, the capital of what country? Assyria. And Jonah goes, after being manipulated by God, Jonah goes and he preaches. What do the Assyrians do? They repent. They repent. They change. These people of a foreign land who spoke a different language, who were antagonistic against God's people, they changed. He said, God tells Ezekiel, he says, I didn't send you to people of a foreign nation. They would have changed. Now watch this, verse 7. But the house of Israel, they will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Chapter 2, he calls them rebellious. Here he says they're impotent and they're hard-hearted. Not going to listen. Now think about this. He says, they didn't send you somewhere where you don't even speak their language. He says, I sent you to your own people. They, the, the foreigners, they would have listened to you. But those close by, they're not going to. Do you know what we do sometimes? Do you know what I do? Let me rephrase that. Do you know what I do sometimes? Sometimes I say, you know what? If only I were in India, because then people would listen to the gospel. Or if only I were in Africa, then people would listen to the gospel. If only I were in China, then people would listen to the gospel. But these Americans, they're hard-hearted. They're rebellious. They're not going to listen to God's truth. You know what I'm doing? I'm trying to excuse myself, right? God's consecrated me. God's educated me. He's educated you. And I've accepted His truth, or so I profess, and so have you. But then I'll make an excuse. Ah, they're not going to listen. What did He say in verse 11? He said, whether they'll listen or whether they won't, that, that doesn't change a thing. 
You see, their reception has nothing to do with your calling. Their reception has nothing to do with your obligation. Their reception has nothing to do with whether or not you speak my truth. Even if they're going to reject it, and God says, by the way, they will, even if they're going to reject it, you've still got to preach the truth because that's your job. But what did God like send Ezekiel to the wolves and not prepare him? No, he prepared him. Watch this. He says in verse 8, after saying they're hard-hearted, they're rebellious... He says in verse 8, Behold, I've made your face, I've made your face strong against their faces. And I've made your forehead strong against their foreheads. You know what we say sometimes when we're talking to people about the truth? It's like beating my head against a wall, right? It's like beating my head. God says, don't worry about your head. I've taken care of that. He says, I made your forehead hard. I made your face hard. It's as hard as theirs are. Now keep reading. He goes on and he says, Behold, after saying, I made your face strong, your forehead strong, he says, Is an adamant harder than flint? Have I made thy forehead? I made you harder than any other substance you can come in contact with. Therefore, therefore, fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. He says, I've got a mission for you. You go and you teach this hard-to-swallow message to some people who are rebellious and, oh, they're not going to listen. But don't worry about that. I've made you hard-headed. You know, as Christians, we can't be hard-hearted, but we better be hard-headed. It could be, it could be, that we as Christians in the area in which we live, the United States of America, have one of the hardest jobs in all the world. And that's preaching to the gospel to our neighbors. But we can't excuse ourselves because of that. We can't say, yes, we know the truth and we accept the truth and we want to, we want to speak the truth, but it does no good. They're not going to listen. God says, I don't care if they're going to listen or not. You speak it. If he prepared Ezekiel, will he prepare us? Absolutely. Now, somebody reads this and they say, well, I don't know how tough Ezekiel was. You want me to show you how tough Ezekiel was? In Ezekiel chapter 24, verse 15, you pick up reading there. Watch how tough Ezekiel was. Now, you fellas, you put yourself in this position. God often uses prophets to communicate a message visually to his people. In Ezekiel chapter 24, beginning with verse 15, he says, Also the word of the Lord came unto me. Let me show you how hard he was. He says, Son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. Now, hang on. You're taking away the desire of my eyes. That could be like my house or my car or something like that. Okay, take it away. Keep reading. He says, Yet neither shalt thou mourn or weep, neither shall thy tears run down. He says, um, I'm going to take away something that you desire, something that you really love. He says, But don't cry about it. Don't weep about it. Don't mourn for it. Watch this. He says, Forbear to cry. Make no mourning for the... Whoa, for what? For the dead. Bind your tire upon thine head and, and put your shoes upon your feet. Wear what you would normally wear. Cover not your lips, don't cover your face and cry. Don't, don't quiver. Don't eat the bread of men. And God says, I'm going to take away something you really love. And I'm going to take it away instantly in a stroke. And you don't cry and you don't mourn and you don't weep and you look like you just always look and you roll on with life. And Ezekiel says, okay. And God says, by the way, it's going to be a death. And Ezekiel says, oh. And then he keeps going. Listen to verse 18. So I spake unto the people in the morning, and at even, what happens? 
his wife dies. He says, and even my wife died. And I did in the morning as the Lord commanded me. God says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take something away from you by death in a stroke in an instant. But I don't want you to cry about it. I don't want you to mourn for it. I don't want you to weep. I want you to get up tomorrow morning. I want you to look like you always look. And I want you to go out and be among the people. Hard? Absolutely. Why? Why why would God do that to Ezekiel? Keep reading. Verse 19. And the people said unto me, Wilt thou not tell us what these things are unto us that thou doest? And then he tells them. The Lord came unto me. He said, hey, this is going to happen to your wife. Don't worry about it. Don't cry. Don't mourn. Don't weep. And he tells them why. God had a message. But you, you tell me how hard Ezekiel was. You tell me how prepared Ezekiel was. Ezekiel was so prepared to fulfill the commandments of God that when God told him, do not shed a tear for the death of your wife, Ezekiel said, yes, sir. And he did not shed a tear for the death of his wife. Are you that prepared? Am I that prepared to speak the truth of God? That when God says something that difficult, I say, yes, sir, and I do it. If we're going to speak God's truth, it's going to take preparation. It's going to take consecration. It's going to take education. It's going to take acceptation. It's going to take preparation, number five. And this is where we get down to brass tacks. It's going to take motivation. If we're going to speak God's truth, it's going to take motivation. Somebody says, if God's going to kill my wife and tell me not to, not to cry, there better be a reason behind it. Absolutely. Absolutely. God's got a reason. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. Picking up with verse number 16. He says, And it came to pass at the end of seven days. Remember, he had sat there for seven days wrestling with this? Possibly. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Now God, God says, you've sat there for seven days. All right, I need to talk to you again. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Now let's talk about this word watchman for a minute. Who is a watchman? You know, during the time in which Ezekiel lived, and especially those... When we think Old Testament, what do we think about cities? We think cities with walls around them, right? We think cities with walls. Well, the watchman was placed upon the wall, and if there was an opposing force, if there was something coming, the watchman had the job to watch. That's why he was a watchman. To watch and then to warn. To watch and then to warn. He would see something. Now, what would he see? Reality. What would he see? He would see truth. This is true. And he would turn and he would do what? He would speak what? Truth. He saw truth, reality, and he spoke truth. If there's a breakdown in truth, what was he not? A good watchman. God says, Ezekiel, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. I want you to see truth and I want you to speak truth. And keep reading. He says, therefore, hear the word at my mouth, see truth, and give them warning from me, speak truth. When I say unto the wicked, now verses 18 and 19 are going to be about the wicked. He says, when I say unto the wicked, you shall surely die, and you do not give him warning, nor do you speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. 
The same wicked man is going to die in his iniquity, but, here you go, but his blood will I require at your hand. God says, if you see the truth and you turn around and you see this wicked man who you need to speak the truth to, and you say, well, he's not going to listen anyway. I'm not going to speak the truth. And so he goes his way and he doesn't repent. He says he's going to die and he's going to be lost, but where's the blood going to be? Your hands. You see truth. You see where it should be applied and you don't apply it. That blood's on your hand. Keep reading. Verse 19, yet, but if you warn the wicked man and he doesn't turn from his wickedness, which God said he's already not going to do, nor from his wicked way, he's going to die in his sin, but you've delivered your soul. He says, you see truth, you turn around, you speak truth. That man may die and be lost, but whose blood is not on your hands? That guy's. It's on him. And then he flips and he starts talking about righteous people. Verse 20, he says, again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness, he commits iniquity. Not only a stumbling block before him and he shall die, because thou hast given him no warning, he's going to die in his sin and be guilty. But his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood, his blood, will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live. Because he is warned also, thou hast delivered thy soul. What's God giving Ezekiel? Now get this, Ezekiel's sitting there. Seven days he's been wrestling with this. It was sweet when I was alone with God. Now it's bitter and I see all these people who God tells me I need to preach to, but they're not going to listen anyway. And he says, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And so God comes back to him after seven days and he says, Ezekiel, now remember, I've made you a watchman to see and speak the truth. Now let me break down for you what this watchman means. If you fail to speak the truth and somebody's lost, I'm going to require their blood on your hands. But if you speak the truth and they're lost anyway then you're innocent. What's he doing? He's giving him motivation. He's giving him motivation. He says, you're wrestling with this. You've been sitting here for seven days. Now get up and speak, because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. In Ezekiel, you've got two main sections. Ezekiel chapter 1 through 32 is the first section. And it's Ezekiel's ministry before the destruction of Jerusalem. So if you're out in your Bible and you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 33 and draw a line between 32, the end of 32 and 33, and write 586 B.C., because that's when it happened, the destruction of Jerusalem. Everything in Ezekiel 1 through 32 happens before the destruction of Jerusalem. But in Ezekiel 33 through 48, the end of the book... Everything happens after the destruction of Jerusalem, and here's why. Because in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 21, a messenger comes to Ezekiel and he says, Oh, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. So we know when that happened. But you know what's interesting? The first section, God begins, chapter 3, and he says, Ezekiel, you're a watchman. You're a watchman, and then Jerusalem's destroyed. And you know what he does in chapter 33? God comes back, and you know what he tells Ezekiel again? He says, you're a watchman. You're still a watchman. The city's gone. The walls are destroyed. I'm not talking about a physical city anyway. You're still a watchman. What does that tell me? That tells me that regardless of where I am or when I am, regardless of where I am geographically, where I am chronologically, regardless, I'm still a watchman. I've been consecrated by God, and every Christian has been. Every Christian has been. Still a watchman. 
What's one motivation? Now, this is only one. It's the context of what we're talking about here. But what's one motivation for speaking the truth of God? Because if I know the truth and I see where the truth ought to be applied and I don't speak it, I am just as guilty of that man's soul as anybody else. Do you know what one of the problems with us performing the action of speaking God's truth is? One of the problems is we don't look at people the same way God looks at people. When we look at people, do you know what we see? We see the outside, right? And that's obvious. When we look at people, we see the outside. Well, if you're a surgeon, what could you see? You see the outside and the inside. I mean, I mean, we look at people and we see the physical. When God looks at people, what does He see? He sees their spiritual condition. We can only see the physical condition except for their works whereby we know their spiritual condition. But when God looks at an individual, forget the physical, God sees the spiritual. When we look at people, we see white and black. When God looks at people, we see saved and lost. If I looked at people the way God looked at people, do you know what I'd be more apt to do, I believe? I believe I'd be more apt to warn people. I'd be more apt to fit my service as a watchman. I'd be more apt to speak God's truth. I'd be more what? Motivated. I'd be more motivated. You see, speaking God's truth requires motivation. If I were to ask you personally, behind closed doors, what's your motivation for speaking the truth of God? What would you say? What would you say? If you're a parent, you know what one reason should be? I want my children to be saved. Because if you see them and you're raising them and you're rearing them and you're not speaking God's truth to them and for some reason they become unfaithful and they leave the church or they never obey the gospel, God's going to require that blood wear. They're going to be lost because of their sin, absolutely. That's personal responsibility, Ezekiel 18, 20. But God's going to require that wear from you because you were his watchman. If you're grandparents, same thing. If you're a husband, same thing. If you're a wife, same thing. God's placed you as a watchman. If you're going to speak God's truth, it's going to take motivation. I am bad eyesighted. I cannot see the clock. What time is it? Is it time to end? Okay, good. You, you just better be thankful. I was always told when you get done, when you run out of soap, you quit washing. And we didn't do like the Apostle Paul. We didn't go till midnight. All right, let me wrap this up since then I know my time is gone. We need to speak God's truth. We need to speak God's truth. We as God's people have been consecrated. The elders of local congregations spend an awful line of time educating us. God works with us and through us with His Word to help us to accept this truth. And if you claim faith, you claim that you've accepted the truth. God not only does that, He prepares us. He prepares us. You pray for wisdom? I hope you do. He prepares us. You got hard-headed people? He prepares us. And God motivates us. God spoke to Ezekiel and He motivated him. And through the pages of inspiration by revelation, He's motivating us to go out and speak the truth. There remains one question. If I asked Ezekiel, what's keeping you from speaking the truth? What would he say? Absolutely nothing. What's keeping you? What's keeping me from speaking the truth? Not in places where it's always conducive like it is here, but what's keeping you from speaking the truth to the fellow down the street who you know or who you think might be so hard-hearted that he'll never listen? Ezekiel didn't have a reason, neither do we. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. Thank you for the honor, for the invitation. It's been my joy and privilege to be here.